Today I'm chatting to a friend who is also a food stylist and food blogger with a passion for making pretty looking, gluten-free and on-trend healthy foods. I'm chatting to Le Fermiste Cat, also known as the Chia Pudding Queen. Hi Cat, welcome to Drinks with Shan. Hi Shan, what are you drinking? <laughs> you asking me my question. I love that. I love that. Well, I'm drinking water. What are you drinking? I'm drinking hot chocolate because it's Friday and I like to party. Oh, oh, look at you. That's just such a party drink, hey? And knowing you, you most probably went a little extra with it because that's how all your pictures are. <laughs> it's not like one marshmallow. <laughs> You see, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> Let's talk about this whole food journey of yours. You launched a blog specifically around food. Yeah. What was it like in the beginning and what made you decide to focus on food specifically? Okay, well, the funny thing is, is I actually didn't launch the blog to focus on food. So when I was still working full time in PR, I came up with this idea, obviously working with bloggers a lot, to launch my own blog. And I, the idea, the name that I was going to call it was going to be um, just another Josie Girl. And it was going to focus on restaurant reviews and travel stuff and then like maybe a little bit of recipes here or there. And I did that for like a while, but I never actually launched it properly because I was starting to realize that the whole blogging industry was getting really flooded. And I decided that I would rather maybe focus in on a niche. So two mm. years ago, I launched Properly and I launched La Famished Cat. Um, and the main focus is obviously now food. I do occasionally do like travel stuff, but I decided, you know, it's just, I, I wanted to stand out from the crowd. So I decided I would focus, you know, majority on recipe creation. And yeah, and the famished cat kind of just is me being hungry and, you know, thinking about food all the time and what I can eat. And yeah, it's basically just um, just years of actually wanting to be in the food industry and never really getting a chance to be. So I thought, let me do a blog. That's a great way to, you know, express express my love for food. Talking about expressing yourself, you've done a brilliant job in capturing an audience on you know social media specifically Instagram because your pictures is like out of this world like every time I go on Instagram and look at your feed I am hungry (laughs) even though if it's something I don't normally eat just looking at your pictures makes me hungry (laughs) so you put a lot of effort into creating this you know, beautiful backdrop and photos. How did you learn the art of food photography? Okay, so um, when I first started, I didn't actually have a clue what I was doing. Like I would make something and then I would just quickly like put it on the counter in the kitchen and take a photo with my phone. And I really thought that that was going to like get the message across of what I was trying to communicate and tell a food story. But I started to realize that, you know, unfortunately the world that we live in is very visual and can sort of be a little bit vain if I can say that and it's important to have like really pretty photos and you know visually compelling images because that's how you're going to you know 
drive interest in your blog. So to cut a long story short, I realized I needed to actually invest in my blog a little bit more. So I decided to get myself a camera. Um, but that's actually all I got for a very long time. It was only, you know, within the last few months that I've invested more into the blog. But yeah, I just started out with a little camera and I started to like practice with this camera and figure out like what would work for different, you know, food items. Um, and yeah, I think it just taking some time to to actually invest in the blog more than just like taking a quick snap on, on a phone and just, you know, hoping for the best. I started to think about what was the story I was trying to tell about this dish? How was I going to convey that message in a way that would appeal to an audience? Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I started it. And then it's honestly just taken a lot of practice to get to where I am now. And I'm still nowhere near where I want to be, but it's mostly just practice. I take food photographs almost every single day. And sometimes things don't make it to the blog because I don't like the way they look. But I've learned something, you know, in, in taking those photos and, and taking the time to figure out how to style something, you know. So it seems like there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. Do you plan your content or, you know, your stories and recipe and what does that look like? What does a week in Cat's world look like? So um, what I've realized is like, I need to increase the amount that I'm posting, but obviously just to make sure that I'm posting quality content, because it's always going to be quality over quantity. So on average, I try to plan between three to four posts per week. I shoot mostly all of my content on the weekend because I have a job, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I work at home and I'm a freelancer, but I do need to focus on the clients that I have. Um, so I try and shoot everything on the weekends. And what I try to do is come up with like, you know, three to four ideas um, of content that I can, you know, shoot. So it's usually like something like a meat-free Monday recipe. Maybe I'll do a cocktail recipe. There'll always be some sort of like healthy bake that's gluten-free or low sugar or dairy-free. Um, but I just try and make sure that I'm posting three to four times a week. Some of the food will make it onto the blog and then some of the food I'll post as a recipe on Instagram and Facebook, which I've noticed people are enjoying those kinds of recipes because I don't have a swipe up function. It's easier for them to just push save on a, on a recipe post that I've posted on mm. Instagram. So I'm finding that like I do a combination of, of both. Sometimes I actually post a recipe on the blog and Instagram and I don't really tell people it's on the blog. I just know that if I'm posting it on the blog, people on the internet are going to find it as well when they're searching for a certain recipe. Mm, that's clever. Yeah. So you tell me that you make like three to four dishes per weekend yeah literally I have no weekend um lockdown is actually fine for me because I don't need to, I don't need to see people I don't have to go to any birthdays I have no social commitments and I'm it's so strange but I'm I'm so okay with it I, I actually like I wake up and I'm like what am I making today I'm gonna make pancakes then I'm gonna shoot a cocktail recipe and I obviously have to make sure that I plan this in my mind ahead of time because you have to shoot when the light is good so I like to shoot between like, you know, 10 to 2 because that's kind of when the sun is like at the highest in the sky and it's bright. But I can also obviously, you know, make sure that 
there's some clouds in the sky to help diffuse some of the light. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent about lighting now, but basically I try and shoot on days where it's kind of a little bit cloudy, um, but there is some sun. And yeah, I just try and think, okay, today I'm going to shoot those two recipes. Then Sunday, I'm going to shoot the other two recipes. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. I, I want to have a break on the weekends and I might shoot like on a Wednesday in the middle of the afternoon when I don't have too much going on. But yeah, I don't shoot that. The day you see a post is not usually the day I shot the recipe. So how have you managed to stay so skinny? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I have definitely picked up weight uh, over the lockdown period, which I'm actually okay with. But uh, yeah, I, I do. I don't know if you really want to know about how I stay skinny. I literally do a F45, which is like an online fitness class. And then I don't eat everything that I make. Some of it get, gets frozen. Some of it I'll drop off at my sisters or my brothers who all live within one kilometer of my house, my mom. Sean's parents we literally all live in the same area so people definitely get food drops my next door neighbors um wow. definitely can't eat it all or else I would be huge <laughs> wow okay so I need like a I need you to come stay closer to me I don't mind getting food <laughs> all the time <laughs> yeah it's a guarantee <laughs> Talking about lighting and equipment, let's start with that because I know there's a lot that goes on, you know, with shooting food specifically. What equipment are you currently using? So I am a big believer in natural light. Um, I don't want to, to spend a lot of money on expensive lighting equipment. People often don't believe that I, that I take photos with natural light, but if you, you know, you if you are close to the window, you use a little bit of a diffuser to take away some harsh shadows. A diffuser is basically just a, a round piece of almost like white material that just, you know, stops too much harsh light directly on your food. Okay. If you shoot it with, you know, daylight and you shoot at a good time between like 11 to 2, like I said, you are going to get like very nice bright photos. Um, I make sure that I shoot on a tripod because you know when you shoot on a tripod your your image will have more stability so I'm sure you've seen like a photo could look like blurry or grainy um, mm. might not be like sharp um, and that's usually because when you take a photo if you haven't set your shutter speed to the correct speed if you just shake just a little bit that shake of you like you know like when you have coffee in your hand kind of just yeah. just this, that camera will pick that up and then your photo could come across as like really blurry and, you know, not sharp. So yeah, I would recommend shooting on a tripod. It's not a cheap thing to buy. Like a, a good tripod is about six or 7,000 rand. So it's definitely an investment to get one. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I shoot on a Nikon D3400 and I switch between like a 50 millimeter and a 70 millimeter lens and yeah, I find a 50 millimeter is actually really great. And they call it the nifty 50 um, because you can shoot a lot with it. Um, it's what you call a fixed lens in that you, you know, you can't really zoom in and out. You, it's there. What you see is what you see. Um, and then you just obviously have to move the food, food forwards or backwards to get into frame because you can't zoom on the lens. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, and then uh, basically that's it. I really don't have any fancy equipment. 
that's that sounds fancy for me though <laughs> <laughs> no you get like some really really hectic setups where people have like got these insane c stand tripods and lighting and soft boxes and you can really you can spend a lot of money on photography equipment i don't have the money to do that and also i like just keeping it basic i think the photos that i can capture are good enough and yeah i'm happy with them what if someone doesn't have an expensive camera and would just like to start with their phone is it possible it is possible it's completely possible i actually did a tutorial the other day shooting some waffles with my phone from start to finish i even edited on my phone and screen record that um it's definitely possible i would say just make sure you get a good quality camera a, like a really good android phone or I, apple or whatever it is um and then just okay like a tip what i would have to say is like with phones they shoot better if you do a flat lay I find a lot of phones can't uh, shoot straight on with good depth. So, you know, if you're going to shoot with your phone, try and um, shoot more flat lay style um, with okay. your phone. It's just a lot easier. But yes, it is definitely possible. And there's lots of different courses online to help you shoot better with your with your phone. So what apps do you use for editing? So the two apps that I use is Lightroom and Snapseed. So Snapseed is a mobile app um, and Lightroom is a mobile app and a desktop app. So just to walk you through the process, um, once I've taken my photos, I take my memory card, I plug it into my computer and I upload the photos that I took to Lightroom. And then, you know, you can paste a Lightroom preset onto a picture um, or you can actually edit manually. So I actually like to edit manually because sometimes presets that you can buy, they don't really work in every context. They can make your food look maybe really orange or like maybe way too overexposed. So the thing with presets is, is yes, they're great and they're a quick fix, but you must learn your way around Lightroom because, you know, you need to edit according to the settings that you took the photo in, if that makes sense. Mm. so um yeah so i import the photos and then i edit on lightroom i export and then i basically put them on my phone take a look at them and then if there's anything that i could maybe tweak like you know there's a crumb that i don't like where it's been placed or there's a there's a part of the picture where it's like really dark i'll just do some small little edits in snapseed on my phone um and then that's Oops. basically it i don't retouch my photos on photoshop I kind of think that's a bit of a cop out when people like, you know, create drizzles and like, um, cause I mean, you, you use those kinds of, um, edits for like magazine photography where everything mm. needs to be perfect and blemish free. Um, but yeah, I don't really go into Photoshop. I use Snapseed and Lightroom to answer your question. Let's talk about your props and, you know, for food photography, like what's the basic props you should have? And where did you buy your props from? Okay, cool. Um, so collecting props is like a super big hobby of mine because I'm such a nerd. Um, <laughs> I love going to shops. Like, you, I mean, you can find such amazing stuff at like 
um, Mr. Price Home and H&M and Zara. Like there's lots of places where you can get lots of different food props that are new, um, poetry as well. And then what I also like to do is kind of look on bid or buy for like vintage looking things or I look at a vintage shops for, you know, vintage looking trays and spoons and stuff. I buy a lot of um, like fabrics for, you know, like napkins and stuff. And yeah, that's basically how I do the props. Um, just a tip with props, try and get props that are smaller because it's easier to style with smaller props than it is with big props that take up the whole scene. Okay. And you also use uh, flat lay boards, right? Yes, I do. So there's many different companies in South Africa that do flat lay boards. Um, I Personally, I've told you before, I think in another live, I use Creative Barn. It's a lady based in Joburg, really good quality boards. They don't um, bend or warp. Um, they're waterproof. Uh, they don't leave like scuff marks. Um, so yeah, I have pretty much every single board that that, that Creative Barn sells. <laughs> um, but there's many different places. Um, that do flat lay boards you just need to look what's in your budget you can also make your own flat lay boards which is I haven't tried it but I've actually been meaning to for a while you basically just get like a piece of ply plywood and you use like uh, different paints like say you want to make a moody board you'll buy some black paint some purple paint some blue paint and you'll use a sponge to create like you know a texture on the board and then you've got like a really nice good quality uh, board to use but you can do like all different types you can use like silver white speckles you can use a paintbrush to get a different kind of um, texture so yeah if you don't want to buy boards you can definitely make your own okay interesting how yeah. did you learn about food styling and do you have any tips for food styling okay um so this took me really long and I still don't feel a hundred percent that I'm an expert in food styling. Um, it's a very difficult thing because, you know, when you, so you, let's say you've, you've made this really beautiful cake and you put it down on your flat lay board and it looks lovely. And then you're like, okay, cool. But now what? It's really hmm. difficult because you really need to think about what is the story that you're trying to tell. So this chocolate cake, is it a birthday cake? Okay, well, if it's a birthday cake, maybe you should incorporate some birthday candles or maybe you should put some streamers in the back of the picture or a party hat or something. Maybe you should cut open the cake to show like the inside of the cake if it's a rainbow cake. So I think food styling is dependent on what it is that you're trying to shoot. Like when I shoot a soup, I try to make sure that I bring in lots of texture to that soup. And I shoot it maybe on a very textured surface to kind of bring like a rustic look across. So it's very dependent on what you're shooting and also your personal preference, because we all like different pictures. You know, there's no right or wrong when it comes to food photography. It's really mm. what you, what appeals to you, you know? Um, so yeah, I hope that answers the question. <laughs> Definitely. I have to ask, like how many pictures do you take out before you get that perfect picture? Oh, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say that I can sometimes take like 70 photos. Wow. Yeah, just to try and get three good ones. And then I might even narrow it down to just using one on the blog or on Instagram or Facebook or whatever the case may be. Um, but I definitely take a lot of photos. And I think it's better to take 
you know, quite a lot and then go back and be like, okay, maybe this one. And just making small little movements, like moving the plate this way, moving a spoon that way. You know, it might not look like much while you're standing there, but when you put it onto mm. your computer to edit, you're like, oh, okay, wow, this looks much better with the spoon at this angle or the cake at this angle, you know. So I've noticed that you have a lot of your own recipes that, you know, you have developed. And I'm sure that's an intense journey of trying to perfect a recipe before you share it. I think for me, it would be quite frustrating because <laughs> I don't think I could do that. But talk us through that because I know you also do that as part of your services that you do offer to brands. So there's a lot of work that goes into developing a recipe and trial and error. What's that journey like and how long does it take you normally before you perfect it? When you say trial and error, it's exactly that. So um, <laughs> oftentimes I'll even take people on a journey. I'll be like, guys, do you think that if I add this, this and this together, it'll work? <laughs> and then most of the time people have a lot of faith in me and I'm like, hmm, well, it didn't work, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so there's a lot of trial and error. I waste a lot of ingredients, which just breaks my heart. And I hate wasting ingredients. But when you do recipe creation, it's bound to happen, especially when you are working with like what I do is I work with a lot of gluten-free and dairy-free things. It's not easy. You know, if you're just a, a, a normal food blogger and you're blogging about a loaf of bread, it's very easy to put bread, yeast, and water in a bowl and you'll get a perfect loaf. Whereas yeah. with like gluten-free baking, I'm constantly challenged because this could flop, you know? Mm. And I mean, this week I made a raisin bread. I wanted to bring a raisin bread to the blog that was gluten-free. I made three raisin breads and they all flopped. And I'm not going to post a recipe. I mean, they were okay, but they were dry. So I'm not going to post that on the blog. And I wasted a lot of money doing that and no one was paying me for that recipe. <laughs> so mm. it sucks. And yeah, it's a lot of trial and error. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll say to, you know, I'll use another bloggers or another uh, like food person, like a Jamie Oliver or whatever. I'll use their recipe and adapt it. And I'll always say in the recipe, this was based on this recipe and I adapted it. I changed these things and voila, it worked. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of how it works. So let's talk about you as a food blogger working with the brands and how did that happen? Straight to the point, do food bloggers make money? I mean, you can definitely make money being a food blogger, but it's not easy. And I, I would have to say, don't quit your job to become a food blogger and expect to be making what you were making at your job. It's difficult. There's no guarantee of, you know, how much money you can make in a month. I find it incredibly difficult to get like almost like long standing contracts from what I can what, from what I've experienced, lots of brands, they like to work with you, but they work with you, you know, this month and then they'll chat to you in about four months time. So there's no like guaranteed work when you're a blogger. You work towards opportunities that you think would work for your blog. Um, some will come through, some won't. But yeah, I think if you persist at it and you produce quality content, brands will want to work with you. And the best feeling in the world is when you are not approaching any brands but a brand approaches you because that means mm. that they've actually seen your work they've been impressed by it 
and they've seen, you know, you could align with their brand. And I think that's a real compliment. So for me, that's kind of where I realized, okay, I'm doing something right because I'm not approaching these people. They're approaching me. Because that was going to be my next question is how do you approach a brand and what's, is there such thing has the right way to approach a brand? So in your case, I think you've been quite lucky where you said it was the opposite way around, but have you been in a situation where, you know, you came across this brand or you use their products and you love it and you're like, I have an idea for a campaign and I should like I want to approach this brand. Mm. How did that process go to you with with you? You know what the thing is, and um, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a know-it-all here, but I'm just going to be honest. I'm from a PR background. So I kind of understand what brands want and I understand what PR people need to, you know, the KPIs they need to meet in a month, right? So having that knowledge is very helpful because I can look at a brand on Instagram or Facebook and see what campaigns they're working on and be like, okay, here's a great way that I could slot into that campaign. Um, So I think it's just a lot of like social listening, watching what a brand is doing, trying their products. And you know what is like, I think people often just expect that a brand must just notice you. But why would they notice you? You're in a stream of other bloggers and influencers all posting content. So what I like to do is I create stuff for free for brands. I tag them in it in the hopes that they see my work and they contact me and, you know, they want to work with me. That's how I do it. I do it in a very subtle way. Um, Occasionally, I might approach a brand that I really, really love. um, But I am oftentimes quite nervous to approach big brands even with the experience that I have in PR, because I'm, I don't want to come across as almost like needy yeah. and what you refer to as a blegger. Um, <laughs> so I just, I want to come across as very authentic and I can, you know, add value to your brand. Um, there's many brands that I'm terrified to approach that I'd love to work with. And I really need to just approach them because, you know, you can't just sit around thinking about the people that you'd love to work with. Mm. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Blegger is an inside joke for us <laughs> in the industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a blogger, which is literally begging for things. But let's move on. Kat, yeah. do you feel like your method of tagging brands in posts that, you know, they haven't paid for or just because you're using the product, do you feel that method has worked for you? It definitely has. Um, And, you know, like one of the most, one of the campaigns I'm most proud of working on in the past few months has actually been Amarula. Um, That's like my ideal alcohol brand. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. I didn't approach them. I literally just took some really pretty content, tagged them in it, and they approached me. And I know it was because of me tagging them because they'd never spoken to me before. They didn't follow me. Like they didn't know who I was. So I think in that sense, it definitely worked for me. And yeah, it's one of my proudest moments is getting to produce content for Amarula. Wow, amazing. (laughs) What are your tips for growing an online uh, community? Specifically, let's talk about Instagram because I feel like a lot of food bloggers tend to go towards Instagram first because it's so visual. Hmm. So I think um, from what I've realized is, you know, you can't just post a picture and then just hope for the best. 
like Instagram is a, literally what you said. It's a community and people want you to also engage with their content and, you know, it needs to be authentic. Don't just be like, wow, amazing. Like actually look what the person's written, what they're talking about, you know, what they're trying to convey and comment on the post, like a post, share other people's, you know, recipes, giveaways. Like I'm always, always engaging with other bloggers because I think that that's a great way to build a community, you know? Um, and I, like I find in America and other countries, bloggers are more accepting of each other and more friendly towards each other. And I find in South Africa, there's a lot of standoffish kind of like behavior, which is something that I'm trying into myself break. I don't want that. I want bloggers mm. to know if you want to ask me a question, you can ask me a question. If you want to talk to me, talk to me. If you want to ask me to share a post, ask me to share a post. Like I'm trying to create this community of like, I support other bloggers. I'm happy to give you advice and yeah, just be a part of a community because that is what Instagram is all about. It's niche communities. That was a very valid point you brought up about people not supporting people in the community. I think that's a big problem a lot of us face daily. And, you know, you just saying that I am willing to help you. I think this will mean so much for a, a new content creator coming in mm. and, you know, trying to find their way. And we need more people like you, Kat. So thank oh. you for putting that out there. Let's hope you don't get too many messages after this. <laughs> well, Shred, to be honest with you, I actually kind of picked that up from you just in the way you built your whole, you know, mom says and the tribe of women that you work with. And just even from like our first meeting when I was in PR and yeah. you had just started your blog, it's just kind of like, you know, talk about things, communicate about, you know, different ideas and um, just create a community. Oh, don't be thank you. <laughs> what has been your biggest highlight of your blogging career thus far oh it was when Bosch asked me to host a cooking class really <laughs> yes I, I was absolutely like completely flawed I had done nothing to warrant them asking me I'd never used any of their products I didn't even follow them on Instagram and they asked me to host a cooking class and I was just like completely flawed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You didn't mention the award that you won as well. So that's why I was like a bit shocked. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, yes. I, winning, I've actually won South Africa's Best Food Blog two years in a row. Um, exactly. So yes, like, sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot about that. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, it just shows what's important for you and what you felt has been the highlight of, you know, your journey thus far. You standing in front of other people and teaching them how to cook yeah. and, you know, sharing what you've learned thus far in the industry. And I think that's absolutely amazing that you looked at that as a highlight. And congratulations for getting there. And I'm sure there's a lot more of that happening. I want to find out, do you think having a blog is still relevant in 2020? Because I've noticed a lot of recipes on Facebook and now Instagram and TikTok as well is all video, you know, just this quick videos sharing the entire recipe. And mm. 
personally, I've downloaded a lot of them or saved them because then when I'm in the kitchen, you know, instead of reading 500 words, I'm just looking at a video. So I'm curious to know, like, you have this blog for two years. What's your stats like? And do you feel like, you know, blogging will still continue from three years from now or so? Mm. Um, so I would have to say that you're 100% right. People do enjoy video content. I have posted video recipes before and they have performed well. <laughs> I'm going to sound so lazy, but I just find them so exhausting to make. They drain me like, they drain all of my energy. And I almost become like, I feel not creative when I have to do very long food videos. So I prefer taking photos and writing a recipe and writing a story about the recipe, but I understand that content is moving towards video, you know, to be like the, the favored um, way to post. I don't know if it's because I'm old, but I just, I'm not into TikTok. <laughs> like I <laughs> log on and then I log off and then I'm like, why is everyone still on TikTok? What is everyone talking about TikTok? Like, I don't know. I think it must be just because I'm old, but I don't know if TikTok is the right platform for me. Although from what you're saying, maybe I should actually be looking at it because there clearly is people who need fast, you know, video food content. Um, mm. I just find another platform to manage. And I find already Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and the blog is quite like exhausting, yeah. <laughs> just to be honest. But you're probably 100% right. I probably should be looking at more video content. That's just my personal preference. Mm. Um, you know, there is a lot of people that still read blogs. I know because I have a blog and my blog is still doing well. But, you know, I just wanted to know from your point of view as in what you think. Mm. What advice would you give someone who wants to start a food blog? Okay, well, I mean, you know, if you want to start a food blog, that's great. But just keep in mind, it is going to take you a lot of time to you know create content and it will cost quite a bit of money in terms of the groceries that you'll need to buy to create the recipe so keep that in mind um and then yeah i would have to say just try and figure out what your niche is because you know you don't have to um you don't have to blog about everything let's say you want to focus on desserts or you want to focus on savory food maybe you want to just do a combination of all of them but try and figure out what your niche is what do you want to be known for so like for me I want to be known as like a healthy food blog with gluten-free recipes quick and easy that kind of thing you know and I hope that when people think of me that's what they think of mm. um, because there's many different types of food blogs out there um, so you just kind of need to think about what, you know, it's almost like your business plan, but for your blog, what do you want to be known for? What is your end goal? You know, what do you, you know, what is your vision basically for your blog? I think that's important to start with. Um, yeah, that's probably what I would have to say about that. And then also just decide if you want to post everything on social media or if you want to post, you know, with a combination of blog and social media. And if you are going to get a blog, then decide uh, what platform you want to use. I would suggest WordPress um, because it's good with SEO and it's easy to navigate. And yeah, that's my advice. <laughs> okay. What has been your biggest post 
thus far and why do you think it has done that well? This could be on the blog or on social media, whichever one. I'll give you a few. So um, my gluten-free malva pudding is the most viewed recipe on the blog. I think that's because it's a South African recipe and a lot of people like to cook malva pudding. So that would be like my number one best recipe. People love banana bread. Um, my soups do really well. On <laughs> banana bread. Banana bread is definitely because of quarantine. Um, soups do very, very well for me. Um, and, you know, a lifestyle post that I recently did was about um, Black-owned businesses that you can support. That also did quite well. Um, but, yeah, I think my niche is really baking, and that's kind of where I do well, and, like, really healthy meat-free Monday dishes. So okay. with that insight, then I will create more content, content, you know, along those lines. That's not to say that you should take this idea and do that, that exact thing. I'm just saying <laughs> yes. like for me, those are the things that perform well for the audience that I have. I think it, as we spoke about earlier, it's trial and error and trying to understand your audience and what they're looking for or what they come to you looking for and then you will figure it out like how you did as you did say you have this blog for over two years now so it's not something that you just decided the other day that Mm -hmm. this is the content I'm pushing more than the other Mm. you've worked hard to get to where you are and I think anyone coming in needs to know that this is not overnight fame like TikTok it's yeah. very different in the blogging world. TikTok, man, it sounds easy. <laughs> you know what? I talk a lot about TikTok on my podcast. I need to stop. <laughs> you can see I spent way too much time there. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> what is your signature dish that represents you as a cook? I mean, I really don't have, I don't know if I can think of a signature, signature dish, but I'd have to say, like I said before, it's a lot of gluten-free bakes, People call me the chia pudding queen, which is a title. Pudding. Oh, wow. Chia pudding queen, yeah. Chia um, pudding queen. Okay. Lots of cookies. I'm very known, well known for cookies and I think noodles. <laughs> yes, you did make unicorn noodles. Yes, and peanut butter noodles and like lots of pasta dishes. So, yeah, that's kind of what I'm known for, I would, I would say. Wait, did you just say peanut butter noodles? Yeah, peanut butter noodles. Please, I need someone to go make this recipe and tag me. Like, I keep asking people to make this recipe and I don't know why no one's made it yet. It's upsetting me. (laughs) Because it sounds very random, Kat. It's so (laughs) delicious. Please try it. (laughs) Okay, one day when I feel like being creative in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite kitchen gadget or tool that you can't live without? Okay, like I know for most people, it's going to be something fancy like a, a blender. I'm quite, um, I'm quite old fashioned. I would have to say it needs to be a good knife. I hate blunt knives. Um, a really good pan that doesn't burn my food is nonstick um, and a spatula because I always need to get some batter out of the bowl or, you know, some swipe a cake or something like that. So yeah, a spatula, a good knife and a good quality pan. Interesting. <laughs> Which country's cuisine do you love to eat the most and why? 
Um, definitely Asian cuisine. I am obsessed with rice and noodles and fresh, uh, fresh veggies and sushi. And yeah, I just love Asian cuisine. So that is why you've made peanut butter noodles. Pretty much, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best. Okay, so I have to end off our chat with this question because I've seen this is like one of the most popular questions asked to food bloggers. So I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Do you get heaps of free food? <laughs> Lots of people think that I do, but everything that comes to this house that gets delivered for me, I usually know about because I don't like it when people send me unsolicited food. <laughs> like I don't want people to send me beef and pork and things that I'm not going to end up cooking with. So when a person contacts me to send food, I know what's coming and I've made a selection according to what would fit my blog and my brand. I don't just take on free food for the sake of it. It needs to align with my brand. And if it doesn't, I'm going to decline. So I don't just drown in heaps of food. Although I do get a lot of chocolate drops. It was lovely chatting to you and just finding out more about food and peanut butter noodles. Like that's never <laughs> going to leave me. I can't believe I didn't come across this on your page. I'm going to I'm send going it to you. stock that. Yes, please. <laughs> and before we leave, can you please tell everyone where they can find you? What's your blog name and which social media platform are you most active on? Definitely TikTok. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, so you can find me on www.lefamishedcat.co.za and cat is spelled with a C. Or you can find me on at lefamishedcat on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Awesome. So we shall see you online and happy cooking. <laughs> <laughs>